Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Points of View podcast. In this episode, you'll hear dance writer Cheryl Osula in conversation with San Francisco Ballet General Manager Deborah Bernard, Production Director Christopher Dennis, and Ballet Master Anita Pachotti to discuss how Unbound, a festival of new works, came to be. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us here tonight. And thanks for that introduction, Jenny. So, let me open my paper here. So, um, I, let's start by just finding out how many of you have seen any of the Unbound shows yet? Oh, good, a lot of you. And you've got another one opening tomorrow night. That would be Program D. So, uh, come if you can. So tonight, uh, we're, we're really fortunate to hear from three of the, the key players in producing this festival, which has, in my opinion, proved to be quite remarkable. So uh, we have, I guess I'll, I'll go from my right, ballet master Anita Pachotti, general, general manager Deborah Bernard. Hi and production director, Christopher Dennis. So for this festival, uh, you know, uh, producing 12 world premieres in one season is, is quite an accomplishment. But to have 12 world premieres open within the span of one week is absolutely unprecedented. Uh, if any of you were around in 2008, that New Works Festival was 10 ballets. So we've We've gone ahead and done ourselves one better here. Uh, this festival has just resulted in an, a, a really amazing array of creativity and artistry, and we could talk about that for many, many days. But tonight, we're going to talk about what's not on the stage, what's invisible, and that is all the backstage preparations for the last well, we'll get into how long it's been <laughs> that uh, the first germs of this came to be. So um, these three have particular insights into different areas of the company. And what I want to do is start by having each of you just say what your role is at San Francisco Ballet and specifically with the Unbound Festival. Starting Anita. here? Hi. Okay. I'm uh, one of the ballet masters here at San Francisco Ballet and uh, was responsible for just two out of the 12 of the new works, Kathy Marston's Snowblind and Stanton Welsh's Bespoke. So um, I know quite a bit about the workings and uh, the organization of it all. So if we get to that, I can tell you about that. Thank you, Anita. And Deborah? As general manager, um, I'm responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the company, and that includes all of the expenses, of course, for production, music, um, and everything um, that it is taking to produce this festival, um, along though with, of course, our uh, department heads, and Chris is a major one of those, especially for this festival. Um, and my department is also responsible for the contracting of the choreographers. The uh, Chris does the design team. And 
the logistics of bringing everyone in and out, we do as a team effort as well. So um, if, if my position would be considered like in a corporation, a chief operating officer. Thank you, Deborah. And um, I'm the production director, and um, my main responsibility is uh, for this festival and generally is um, managing of the um, things you see on stage, uh, all the production values, scenery, costumes, lighting, sound, props, hair, makeup. So I manage the teams that uh, help get those different elements on stage pretty much. Thank you. So let's start by just giving our audience a sense of the kind of the scale of this festival. Of course, it's not an isolated thing. It comes on the heels of of the rest of the season. So just compared to a regular season, how does it compare? Well, I'll start. This one is very different, and it's similar to what Helgi did in 2008. But in order to accomplish all this new choreography, Helgi divided the company into three groups. And that was so that three ballets could be rehearsed on any given day with no crossover in the cast, because that would be very complicated. And as well, you wouldn't dream of having a a dancer learn 12. So if you divide 12 by three, you have four. So each dancer was generally learning four ballets, not 12. And in order to get that done efficiently, he, Helgi uh, created three distinct groups uh, comprised of principals, soloists, and core uh, that he felt would be all, all equally as strong as another. So I asked him about it, and that was really, it was really pretty much all, just a simple game of math. Uh, maybe a few, a few considerations, like if a very... A very tall lady principal, and maybe not so good if you include principal guys who are small. You know, it's smaller. It's um, just a little general thing like that. But basically, he just wanted three strong groups so that we could get it all accomplished. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, our team wasn't as fortunate to get divvied up. We had to be responsible for all 12 <laughs> ballets. So, um, yeah. So basically, you know. Uh, meeting all the choreographers and learning about the things they wanted to do and hearing about their ideas and who their creative teams were. Uh, Once that information was shared, then um, the team got to work. Helgi first started, uh, well, actually first he proposed the idea to our board of trustees at uh, one of our board retreats. It was approximately three years ago. And from that introduction, and of course a lot of discussion at that level, started inviting choreographers again approximately two and a half to three years ago. As you can imagine, with the roster of choreographers that we have, they all get booked quite a bit in advance. So he needed to reach out to them to make sure that A, they were interested, and B, they were available. Um, And then began the the contracting process, and we we approached that differently. We approached it with some real strong parameters, and I had uh, Helgi help us with that communication so that it helped communicate what the budget was, what uh, he was asking them to do, and uh, then that could help both Chris and I work with them directly. 
music choices were another very interesting aspect. We have a combination, if, if you've been coming to the performances, of both live music with our orchestra, but also some music that is recorded. And so clearing the rights for all of that was a huge, huge jigsaw puzzle that we started again about a year ago. Um, so we were constantly asking choreographers, what is your music choice? What are your thoughts? What are your ideas? Who are your designers? Um, and of course, we wanted to make it an even bigger challenge for ourselves. So we decided to make it, uh, to really stretch ourselves, we did four live stream uh, events in the studio over the period of the summer to showcase each group of three choreographers and what they were doing and share that with you, our audience, so that you would get a peek into what we were doing and what was going to be forthcoming. And in addition to that, we also tackled four dance films um, and uh, a lot of community outreach with what we call pop-ups. And we had individual teams heading each one of those. Uh, and, and we're culminating that in the symposium events that we're doing this weekend. That's a pretty big scale. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on something that I actually wanted to ask you about. I mean, you deal with contracts, you deal with rights, um, all of this stuff. Um, and I know that some of the choreographers ended up changing their mind about music once they were in the rehearsal period. Um, so I guess the question is kind of like, oh, of the things you had to deal with, Deborah, what, what's the most hair-raising among them? <laughs> I think the sheer volume of what we were handling, we have a very high standard that we set for ourselves. I mean, certainly Helgi has set that for this company artistically, but we all have it here as well. We're going to reach just as high uh, in all the work that we do. So um, the sheer volume of making sure that we were... Um, doing everything we could for the choreographers, for the design teams, being nimble where we could be, but then having to draw the guidelines more strictly where we needed to. So, um, you know, in, in a regular season, um, there are just, there's, there's a huge number of variables that go into programming. You've got to take into consideration having a balance of music, of choreographic style, being able to achieve set changes, um, you know, not overusing a particular dancer, all of these things, which have to be compounded when you're doing 12 world premieres at the same time. And, and I would imagine is made even more complex because some of those things are unknowns until well into the process. So could, could any of you who have insights into this just talk a little bit about how programming choices were made, how the, how the four A, B, C, and D ended up being um, scheduled the way they did, um, that kind of thing. I can take a little bit of that. So um, um, during the course of the creative process, um, as we were learning about the different designs that were going to be uh, 
done for each of the ballets, uh, we started to put together like a little portfolio of all the visuals that each one of these ballets were going to uh, display on stage. And so that was something that uh, we provided Helgi with. So he started to understand sort of what the ballets were starting to look like visually as he was watching rehearsals and stuff like that. And he would sometimes say, so what is this person doing? What is this person doing? And stuff like that. So um, that might have influenced his decision uh, in putting together some of this. I know once he put together the final uh, groupings, uh, he did uh, relay that to me and said, hey, do, do I see anything that would be problematic from a technical standpoint? And um, most of everything he put together seemed to be pretty straightforward that we were going to be able to handle it. So I know that was helpful for him in putting this together. Great, thank you. Uh, another uh, big factor for Helgi to consider is the casting. So you don't want, certainly, a dancer to be involved in all three pieces in an evening. So, in other words, you certainly can't have three from three A ballets, group A, in the same program. If In the perfect scenario, you'd have one from A, one from B, and one from C. And it is about halfway that. It didn't work out entirely because there are other factors. Like, you couldn't, you wouldn't, you don't want a program that has Three pieces with recorded music, certainly. Uh, you have to look at the scenic elements. You, uh, so those are the, probably the, t the two biggest things, is people not being in too many things on the same evening. Even the color schemes, you know, the costumes, um, you don't want th something to be too similar, or the music too, too similar in a certain, certain way. So, and, and the style of the ballet, too. He's taking that into consideration so that the programs are well-balanced. Thank you. So, um, Anita, you actually already answered one question I had, which was about the three mini companies. Um, so kind of a sidebar to that is this was a different way of working um, because normally the dancers are working on a lot of different ballets at once. And now with this schedule, um, each group of dancers worked with one choreographer for three weeks. And they spent basically spent about six hours a day doing one ballet. Um, at some points, there were some other rehearsals tucked in there. So can you talk just a little bit about, you know, what's that like for the dancers? What are the benefits of doing that or what's difficult about it? It's just a completely different way of working. It's really completely different. It's like, it was like being a member of, of one of the smaller companies, like uh, Atlanta Ballet or something, the people, the companies that have 30 or so dancers. Um, and the, the process of having that many hours a day with one person had wonderful advantages because as I went through the hallways and, and in my experience with my own choreographers, they did quite a bit of experimentation. They, they didn't have to really churn out quite as much. They got to, they got to experiment. They, in many cases, they taught a lot of movement before they chose what the dance was actually even going to start to look like. Uh, in, in many cases, the dancers were uh, invited to improvise with some of the material or to actually create uh, from different inspirations. So they were very much more a part of this process overall than is seen in, in another situation when a choreographer has still has the three weeks but they're sharing with others so they feel a little more pressure to churn churn their work out so I think this one is is very 
tailor-made and custom-made for, for our, little, our three groups of, of dancers, a little bit different from usual. Um, not really a disadvantage unless sometimes, maybe in some cases there was a certain portion of a piece that was very rigorous and you end up repeating it a little more often, more times. So there was that kind of fatigue sometimes. But overall, I think it, it uh, was a great, a great way to, to create the Unbound Festival. I, I remember uh, hearing the dancers in the hallway sometimes going, oh, you, I, I used to work with you, you know, <laughs> being so isolated from two-thirds of their, um, their co-workers is a new experience. So, um, so I, I understand that each choreographer was given a certain budget to work with. Um, those of you who have seen more than one program will know that some choreographers commissioned um, music. Others have fairly elaborate sets or special lighting effects, that sort of thing. So, it, um, Deborah, this is probably you, but I'm sort of interested in in not in how you make how you make the balance because even though they say they want to spend their money on a set, you don't know what that set's going to look like or what it'll cost. And then you've got the overall production budget to look at. So can you just talk a little bit about how you shuffle these numbers and, and, and do things when you don't know all the answers? Um, it's a challenge, and Chris and I do that dance quite well, actually. <laughs> um, it's indeed each choreographer was given a budget to work with and they could make choices and then Chris was one of the main individuals who then would communicate well if you're thinking this it probably has an estimate of that or we get a particular design and it would be beyond what we could potentially handle um, so we'd work with them to um, realize their vision but within the parameters of what the finances were that we had to work with um, but indeed, there are impacts on the budget for all of those choices, and uh, we had to hold everyone to a bottom line. Um, but you do make trade-offs, both within that and then overall for the festival. Uh, we had one amazing, as we call him, the rock star lighting designer, Jim Ingalls, who is lighting all 12 ballets. And... Uh, Chris can certainly talk about the efficiencies that that brings, but also the sheer creativity of, of Jim. He's just an amazing designer. Yeah, and just to continue what Deborah said, I mean, the, the trick is to manage all the expectations of all the 12 choreographers and the design teams that they bring in and just to help them prioritize because they all have a bucket full of ideas. And from my perspective, I just basically ask them, so tell me what's important. If you tell me this is like the thing that really makes your ballet shine, then that's what we'll focus on. Um, but if you just want a bit of everything, uh, I try to help them understand the impact of their decisions and the kind of time it's going to take to accomplish all the different variables that they want. So it's really help. It's just guiding them because I know what the schedule is like. Um, I know how fast we can do things. I know how fast we can't do things. Uh, so it's really about just managing their expectations and giving them that real uh, level of understanding so that when they came to the theater to actually start doing their technical rehearsals, there were no surprises. 
and um, bringing in one lighting designer, Jim Ingalls, who's fantastic, to uh, look after all 12 was key to the success of how the technical schedule went because uh, he could manage working with all 12 of them because if we had a different lighting designer for each choreographer, that would have been a little bit of mayhem. I mean, we definitely had different costume designers and we had a different set designers and we had uh, a couple of costume designers who designed more than one ballet and we had a set designer who designed more than one ballet. So those things uh, really helped uh, put it all together uh, in terms of managing everybody's ideas. And there is there one universal light plot that he does for the whole thing and then adds specials? Yeah, and we have a, a rep lighting plot, which generally got used, but there's, you know, people definitely wanted special things. So once again, uh, once Jim had a better understanding of what everybody uh, was asking, he put together a shopping list and says, here's all the lighting equipment <laughs> that we'd like to use. And then I would review that with our lighting director and say, well, we need to scale that back because, you know, the budget can't handle all of that. So he puts together his wish list like all the other choreographers, and then we just start to prioritize and find other solutions to create some of the situations that people are asking for. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the word prioritize because, you know, one of the things is, you know, just you've got the budget, whole budget scenario that Deborah's talking about and which, of course, you're part of. Um, and it's one thing to have um, somebody come in with a plan, and it's another to have them halfway through the rehearsal period decide that they need some certain scenic element. Um, so, you know, do you ever get to a, a point where you're like, well, you know, we can't do X, but we can do a version of that uh, for you that'll, that'll work with all the other things because this is a, coming in late? Yeah, definitely we try to find a bit of a compromise uh, and sometimes I have to play the heavy and say no we can't do that and other times we allow certain things it just really depends on how important and what kind of impact it's going to have on the ballet so like Deborah said earlier there are some trade-offs so sometimes we definitely will allow certain things to happen knowing that if we do this guess what you're not going to have this are you okay with that and so it's really about trade-offs and, once again, helping them prioritize what it is they say they want. And sometimes they've asked for things and then they realize, oh, I, didn't, I don't think I really need that anymore. And, you know, so you try not to have too many of those conversations because, you know, you're spending money at times and you want to be able to use the things that you purchased and stuff like that. So, so um, I, um, you have a festival like this, um, you know, it's, it's accomplishing a lot of things, but one of the things it can do is allow us to see the dancers in new ways. Sometimes they're given a role that's different for them or that challenges them in different ways. Uh, sometimes a corps de ballet dancer will be seen more prominently because that's just the way casting happened. So, um, Anita, you might be the one to talk about this, but just... Um, you know, what are some of the ways the you feel the company's benefiting artistically from doing 12 world premieres at once? Yeah, I just, the, uh, the, the number of opportunities is, is multiplied by 12. So every dancer had 12 opportunities to be chosen for a piece. And uh, it did bring corps de ballet members to the front. It did, uh, I think, inspire Helgi to do a couple of promotions because people were getting featured in, in, in amazing and so well-deserved ways that they got to really rise uh, to their own potential. 
We saw quite a few instances of that. And um, it happens in the regular season also, but it happened more here. And, and I, think it's, I think it's mainly that some choreographers came with kind of a fresh eye to the company. Some know the company well, probably have an idea who they want to use for a certain thing in, before they even come. But others just looked at us at, with new eyes. And uh, there were some really wonderful, remarkable choices and surprises for uh, both people t- taking new territory, someone, even, a, even a principal, but going in a different direction than they had before, and certainly for the, the corps de ballet and the soloist category to, to experiment and rise, rise up. And, of course, you know, a big part of that with new works is for a dancer to have work created on them is, is such a, an incredible experience and, and, of course, brings out, you know, new, very, new things. Very, very personal. And as I said, in many cases, the dancers were more than invited to, to um, guide the choreography or offer their own suggestions or own ideas or just show, just show. And it's often, it happens often and the choreographer says I, I like that I like I like what you're doing there or even someone in the back I like I like that so. yeah there was a, a process of discovery you know, for, um, for some of the choreographers who um, had their group of people and were just oh I I don't know this person but this person has caught my eye so I saw that happening I, I think in a yeah I, I don't know a, a more pronounced way um, you know, one of the things with a festival like this is that certain people get credit, and that credit, of course, is due. But there are a lot of people who don't get credit, um, who have done really critical uh, jobs to make this happen, and I guess we could call them unsung heroes. Um, one that comes to mind would be the company's scheduler, Alan Villarreal, who does just amazing things, getting people into studio space and, and making it all happen. Um, so I'd like each of you to, to tell us about one or two unsung heroes that you've worked with in this festival. I've got more than one or two. Um, well, first of all, the the whole production crew who works on stage has like risen to the occasion in a way that you can't even begin to imagine because um, for the last two weeks, our mornings start at 8 a.m. and we finish at 11 o'clock each night uh, trying to get all of this together on stage. So big kudos to uh, the the stage crew and the uh, wardrobe crew and the hair and makeup crew. And uh, they were just fantastic. Uh, But uh, Unsung Heroes... um, our, our stage managers, we have two stage managers, our production stage manager, Jane Green, and our stage manager, Katie Orr. Um, they have to call all of these ballets, and they split them up. So each of them do six ballets. Um, and that's a lot of... I mean, they don't have to know the steps because they don't have to physically dance on stage, but they have to know the steps. They have to know the lighting cues. They have to know the sound cues. They have to know the fly cues. And this stuff was coming at them at a rapid pace for all the different choreographers and changes were being made like right up until like the opening night where they just had to like get that information because uh, one thing you know uh, 
the production team, uh, we don't get a lot of time to perfect what we do on stage. So we're given a finite amount of time, so everybody really has to pull together and really focus and really just think about what needs to be done in order to get uh, the ballet on stage. So uh, kudos to the stage management team. And then there are two others. There's uh, Kate Sher, who's our uh, wardrobe manager, and um, she was worked with all 12 choreographers and all the costume designers and all the costume construction houses. And she worked closely with Alan to schedule the costume fittings to make sure Helgi was involved and all the designers and the costume construction houses to get a lot of these things here on stage in time because a lot of our costumes were made as far as um, the UK, New York, uh, and some were made here locally. So the logistics around getting all of those things together was pretty huge, and she manages that pretty much by herself with some oversight from me, but that's pretty much uh, her baby. And then there's uh, Daniel Thomas, who is our technical manager, who really shepherded all the scenic designers in getting um, the scenery built um, on time and on schedule, working with the different fabrics and materials. And these guys have been working, and the scene shop have been working endlessly, and the scenic painters, uh, some of you who had an opportunity to see some of the stuff that gets done at the warehouse. So uh, there's a, a huge amount of preparation and uh, time that goes into something like this. And they're the individuals who, who just make it happen. And so I'm very fortunate to have a big team like that. So those are the unsung heroes right off the top of my head that uh, deserve major kudos for helping bring this on stage. Thank you. I would add Jim French from your team. Absolutely. There's Jim French, too, our lighting supervisor, who, uh, once again, works closely with Jim Ingalls, and um, he was fantastic in coordinating all the lighting for uh, Jim and making sure all of that happened as well. So, uh, I mean, the list goes on uh, uh, with, the, with the crew and, and the production staff, for sure. I have a few more. I mean, there are so many unsung heroes, quite honestly, because it truly takes... When they say it takes a village or a, a lot of coordinated team effort, which we really had um, boundlessly, I would say. It was um, our, our company manager, uh, Juliette LeBlanc, um, was helping coordinate all the logistics for not just design team people coming in and out and the costume construction uh, people, but also the composers who were coming in and out, the orchestrators that we had, uh, other guests that we had as well, um, and the people who help us, helped us keep track of all the finances. So um, we have an operations manager, Amy Hand, who's been helping us with that. But it's been a real team effort, really working uh, very closely with the artistic team, um, in addition to Alan Villarreal, um, our artistic administrator, Abby Masters, and Amelia, um, Amelia Baer, our artistic staff assistant. There was just this great, wonderful team of us that were pulling all the logistics of that together and working very closely together. And uh, uh, it was huge. It was really amazing. And the films, yes, films, and pop-ups, and live streams. I don't know. It sounds like they named everybody. Do you have anybody else? In Anita? <laughs> well, I think we should mention Martin West, our conductor, uh, because he was so calm through all this. 
they, granted, they were they joke about it. You know, well, thank goodness we didn't have twelve commission scores, and that a few of them, four I think, uh, were were recorded. So, but they had eight, and some of them were new pieces, and they were all big, all thirty minute pieces. You know, so. And we would we were right next door to their office, Ming and and Martin, and they worked all all day. They were the choreographers were in there with them. We had questions. They would come into our offices and help us, uh, you know, understand the music, make sure that the the orchestra rehearsals run smoothly as far as uh, the cues that if we have to restart, what would be a good place to go back to. That's the kind of thing that makes things run more efficiently if you do it ahead of time and everybody's kind of calling a step the same thing. Let's take it from Miranda's head. <laughs> and things like that, and everybody knows. Um, but that, that's a really big thing. And even the orchestra themselves, you know, to come prepared for all of those things. And we, we watched orchestra rehearsals, too, and saw more of that than usual of, of what goes on to put that part of the, the show together. Um, of course, Alan. But I do want to mention one person I really appreciated through all this, and that is you. <laughs> do you realize Cheryl wrote the program notes for all 12, if I'm right? Yes. That, that is, a, and they're beautiful essays. Thank you so and much. I, Thank you. I mean it. Um, I had the task of doing a presentation to a, a group like yourselves, and I was supposed to sort of do an overview of the season, and I thought, geez, the 12 new works? Well, I haven't even seen all of them. How can I comment? So I was a very good student and, and read Cheryl's pieces, and I, I um, can't stress enough how helpful and it is for you all as audience members to read, read those thing, things that Cheryl has written in the book there. The choreographers were very forthcoming in their interviews with Cheryl, mm -hmm. expressing what they meant or what they were trying to do, what were they thinking. It's so interesting. It, it just, it just um, enhances your experience as audience members tremendously. So, so I thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Anita. Um, I have two other questions I was hoping to squeeze in, and we may not have time for both, so I'm going to ask both and let you choose which one you'd like to answer. Um, one is to name one unexpected thing you've seen happen during this festival. It could be, you know, it could be anything, you know, a, a, a surprising talent in someone, or it could be something technically difficult that you've not experienced, whatever. Um, and the other question is, you know, the thing with, with a festival like this, you know, this is... Um, this is an investment in the future of ballet. This is going out on a limb and saying, you know, this art form is still relevant, it still matters, it's as vibrant as it ever was. But I think that um, in addition to, to being an investment, it's making a statement, and that statement is personal for each person involved in this. So maybe... Each of you have something personal that you want to uh, contribute to that, or tell us about these little nightmare situations. <laughs> oh, they have to think about this one. <laughs> There's one, one core member that I really would mention. Uh, his name is Joseph Wharton. And um, <laughs> Alon Alonzo King uh, saw him. He's... he's Maybe he's 19 now. And he had an unfortunate year because uh, 
Alonzo selected him. He did a pas de deux with Jean of Franciscanus for his Alonzo's new piece. And that, that just doesn't happen very often. Right. Uh, he's a very tall man. She's a very tiny girl. It was a, a very um, original pairing. And he came through with just flying colors. And, and then he had an injury which sidelined him till almost... We, till right when we started to prepare this festival. So that was just a, a really heartwarming thing. He's such a sweet person. Alonzo saw something in him beyond his, even his dancing, but it was his nature, his kind kind heart, things that, that, that sticks out special for me. That's a good one. Yeah, he's wonderful in that. Uh, I, I think for me, and I mentioned this to Deborah the other day, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, we put together the scene shop at our warehouse, which we used to share with the opera on Indiana Street, which was this massive scene shop. And um, so we, uh, at our warehouse on Cesar Chavez, we put together a smaller scene shop. And uh, to me, just standing at the back of the house and watching what has been accomplished at our warehouse on stage still kind of blows my mind away because um, it was really planned throughout the year and everything just came in at the right time and uh, the coordination of working at that warehouse and, and getting stuff built and just seeing it on stage. Um, that, that was, uh, you know, for me personally, it was kind of cool to see all that happen. Um, I don't have any horror stories, but I, I, I can share my first day with Annabella Ocha, uh, Annabella Lopez Ochoa. She came into my office and bubbly and she says, before I start my rehearsal, I just need to know, can the dancers jump into the pit at the end of my ballet? <laughs> so that's how she started her first day with me. Cause she wanted, and she goes, I need to know because that'll help me determine how I finish my ballet. <laughs> Um, and for those of you who've seen her ballet, you realize that the dancers are not jumping into the pit. <laughs> so you can, so you know what my answer was for that. So, um, so there were some crazy ideas out there, and but that was definitely the craziest of uh, the ideas that uh, came our way. Thank you for that one. <laughs> oh, I there, fell on spot. Um, there have no, been you don't have to so be on the spot. many moments, but um, what I so appreciate quite honestly, is also watching the camaraderie of the choreographers who were so excited to all be here at the same time mm-hmm. or to be here in groups of three creating over the summer and the fall at, at the same hotel when they were creating in the summer, you know, three of them, they're sharing a space, you know, in their artistic suite. But they so loved, you know, they supported each other, but they so loved be having a chance. They usually pass in the night, right, when they're going to work for another company. Maybe you have one at a time or two when you're creating a new work, but you never have 12 all together at the same time. And it, I liken it to, there was a program we did, oh, sometime in the last 10 years, where we had three living composers with us. They weren't all in the same program, but they were all here at the same time, and they were on two different programs. And it was so exciting to see three living composers who had done the music for three of the ballets we were currently doing at that time. And I I liken it to this experience and watching them, the composers. So, But watching that camaraderie, watching how they really... um, supported each other, uh, but also got so much from each other. Um, 
and, and, and in turn, we got to share in that. That's a really great point. And a, a lot of the choreographers know each other or have some sort of a connection. So if you look in your program book, there's a really cool chart that shows you how they're connected. So take a look at that. And we're going to now turn the stage over to Christopher's team so that they can get ready for tonight. Thank you again, all of you, for being here, and enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Points of View podcast. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.